0: Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. We need 90 minutes of your time if you can give us that, and most likely you'll be able to do that since you're probably there at home. You've been restricted from traveling that very much during these times of trying to deal with the coronavirus pandemic. So you're most likely there, and I'm so glad that you could join us you're going to have some information given to you from our broadcast partners from around the world. In fact, we go to southern France in a moment to prove that we're going around the world, and then we'll go to Israel, Winky Madad standing by. He's going to give us update on the election process there in Israel. So these reports are very key. If you're a student of Bible prophecy, you'll be able to see how current events are actually setting the stage for the prophetic scenario found in God's Word to come to pass. And I think we're quickly approaching the time of the next event, which is the rapture of the church. Now, I'm going to continue to talk about the rapture because that is our blessed hope, the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ to take us out of this troublesome time into his presence. Very much looking forward to that happening. Well, we said we're going to southern France. Let's go to Ken Timmerman. He's a broadcast partner par excellence, and Ken, I think probably the main headline, from the United States at least, and maybe even catching on around the world, is that Donald Trump decided to shut down, or at least hold off the funding of WHO, the World Health Organization, China's blasting Trump for making that move, and actually pledging more support for WHO. Give me your thoughts about this decision by Donald Trump and the response from China.
1: Well, I think the president made a bold move uh, with this announcement. We provide roughly 22% of all the budget of the World Health Organization, and clearly they have not performed their role the way they are supposed to. They were in cahoots with the Chinese in the early stages of the virus outbreak in China. They reported erroneously, that the virus was not being transmitted amongst people, from people to people. Uh, This was not true, and they reported that in January. And they went along with the Chinese government blackout, if you wish, of news. We now have learned that there was a six-day period, a very critical six-day period in January, when the Chinese government knew very well that they had a real epidemic on their hands. And they allowed millions of people from Wuhan to travel across China for the Chinese New Year and to fly internationally, potentially spreading the virus. And they did nothing. They did not lock down at that point when they knew they had an obligation to do so. And the WHO went along with the Chinese and covered up with them. So that's What we're looking at right now, that's the reason that the president has suspended U.S. aid. I happen to think it's the right thing to do. The head of the WHO, Tedros, Dr. Tedros from Ethiopia, is clearly in the pocket of the Chinese. He needs to be replaced if this organization wants to continue funding from U.S. taxpayers.
0: Well, and when you think about China itself, I've read a report recently that China has been actively involved in promoting biological warfare for over 20 years. Now, If that be the case, I'm concerned even much more so about the reports coming from some of the sources saying that China has been very, very shady in what they have been doing, to say the least. What are your thoughts?
1: To say the least, they've been shady. (laughs) But you're right. They have a biological uh, weapons program in China. It is active. It is widely believed that the Category 4 biological laboratory in Wuhan, where the United States now believes the virus originated, was engaged in both Civilian studies, you know, virus prevention, pandemic prevention, but also potentially in biological warfare techniques and strategies and equipment. So the the, the Chinese really have not been forthcoming. They only recently have started to change their estimates of how many people actually died. You know, they've been saying only 3,000 people died. It's it's ridiculous. They delivered 4,000 urns. Uh, containing the cremated remains of people to their families about three weeks ago just as they were lifting the lockdown in Wuhan Uh, so yeah the Chinese really have a lot to answer for and uh, they are going to be threatened I believe also with lawsuits from millions of Americans that could potentially shut down their economy members of of the US Senate are currently exploring uh, legislation that would lift China's sovereign immunity Uh, and allow the government to be sued for propagating the Wuhan virus, this coronavirus that began in Wuhan, China. So these are very serious things that Chinese have a lot to answer for, and they haven't even begun to provide answers. Instead, they're just sending out propaganda.
0: We're going to stay on top of the China story because Bible prophecy does exactly that. You look over there in Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12, the kings of the east. I'll have more when I take a look at the book a bit later. Let's change the focus a little bit here, Ken, if you will. Turkey and Tayyip Erdogan, they seem to be building a geopolitical alliance between the Sunni and the Shiite Islamists. Now, those are the two factions of the Islamic body politic, the Sunnis and the Shiites. Do you know anything about this?
1: Yes, and we've spoken about this in the past. The Turkish government is always willing to cooperate with the Shiite government of Iran when it sees such cooperation in its best interest. And I'll give you a very simple example. When the Turks want to whack the Kurds, they turn to Iran, and then they whack the Kurds together, (laughs) The, the Kurds who are in northern Iraq. And as you recall, you know, I've reported on this program from northern Iraq with Iranian Kurdish dissidents there, and uh, they have been hit simultaneously by Turkish aircraft and Iranian artillery barrages coordinated between those two countries. So even though they come from the rival sects of Islam, from Sunni and Shia Islam, Turkey has shown itself very willing to cooperate with Iran when it comes to attacking common enemies. Now, in Syria, they appear to be on the front lines against each other. There they don't have a common enemy. There they they actually are on opposite sides. But you notice, Jimmy, that Erdogan is being very careful in Syria not to cross red lines, not to attack the Iranians, and to make sure that he doesn't upset that, that budding alliance when it comes to things that are really strategic. Kurds and expanding his influence across
0: the Middle East. Ken, I would think that uh, Tayyip Erdogan is basically involved in this process because of the fact of his desire to be the pan-Islamic leader throughout the entire world. Well, let's focus there on North Korea just for a moment. They're back in the news, setting up a post-coronavirus game plan, and they're staging missile launches while everyone else is so busy with the coronavirus. This is not good news, is it?
1: It's not, and it begs the question, if you recall, just before Christmas, Kim Jong-un was saying to anybody who would listen, he had a Christmas present for Donald Trump, and and everybody thought what he meant was another nuclear test or perhaps a, a missile barrage or something else in December, in late December, and nothing happened. Well, nothing happened that we knew about. What was happening was the uh, bubbling up of the coronavirus in China, and for some reason, which nobody seems to be able to explain, it did not infect North Korea. As far as we know, it has not been hit the same way that other countries have been hit. Recently, in, in the past three weeks, they have uh, been testing a number of new missiles into what they call the Eastern Sea, which is the Sea of Japan. So they fired them from North korean territory towards japan and these new missiles are not the long-range missiles that everybody's been worried about in the past these are tactical multiple launch rockets that are actually quite sophisticated, a new generation, and the, the type of rockets that they could use in a, an artillery barrage against the U.S. and South Korean forces in Seoul, which, remember, is only 40 miles away from the North Korean border. So this is a strategic test, even though these appear to be tactical rockets. When your capital is 40 miles away from the border, those shorter-range rockets do become strategic.
0: And all of this going on when the rest of the world is so busy with this current coronavirus pandemic. Uh, What about Syria and uh, Libya? They're kind of getting involved together. Can you give us some update on what's happening there in the effort in the battle for Tripoli?
1: This has got to be one of the most bizarre stories that I've seen in quite some time, Jimmy. You've got the Russians who have airlifted into Libya uh, the Syrian rebel legion, which, you know, actually once was linked to Israel. They they brought them in to fight for General Haftar in the battle for Tripoli, and the Turks have airlifted in a different Syrian rebel faction uh, battalion to fight against them on behalf of the government in Tripoli. So everybody seems to be looking for new forces on that battlefield, which has been a stalemate pretty much for the past year and a half. You know, General Haftar, he used to be a a general in Gaddafi's army. He was a favorite of the Americans. Obama uh, dropped him, and he hasn't been picked up by President Trump. So the Russians have been supporting him. The United Arab Emirates have been supporting him. The French are supporting him because he's supposedly anti-Islamist. Now, what's ironic here is that you have the French are supporting Haftar, and the Italians are supporting this government in Tripoli, which includes al-Qaeda-affiliated Islamists. So Libya is really just a maelstrom. This battle is continuing. Their oil exports have dwindled to just about nothing. And why you have two European Union countries supporting opposing sides in the battle for Tripoli is really extraordinary.
0: And you know what's so exciting to me? This report from Ken Timmerman, basically dealing with all the players mentioned in Bible prophecy for the end times, who will actually, though they may seem apart, come together to go after the Jewish state of Israel. Very key, very important report, Ken. Thank you so very much. Stay safe there where you're kind of confined to your little farm. We'll talk of hope again next week.
1: Yes, we are in voluntary confinement, Jimmy, (laughs) against our will. God bless.
0: (laughs) We're going to take a break, and when we come back, a Middle East news update. David Dolan standing by. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here
2: at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web.
0: Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Been here for about a month now. Don't know how long we're going to have to be here before we can get back on the road. But what we are doing, we're giving you more information about Bible prophecy in our little program, which is called Prophecy Moment. It's available on my YouTube channel. It would be at the address YouTube dot com forward slash prophecy today. Number of items as it relates to Bible prophecy found in these little five to ten minute programs that we're doing. Some great information, some great insight into the prophetic scenario that's laid out in God's Word. Well, right now we're going to go to David Dolan. He's the man who for over 30 years has been covering the Middle East. We're so thrilled to have him as our broadcast partner here on Prophecy Today. And David, we're going to talk about the election process, what's been going on with Winky Madad? a bit later But after I had my conversation with Winky, Reuven Rivlin, president of Israel, has set August the 4th as the date for a fourth election if a unity government is not formed in these next couple of weeks. That's a pretty interesting development, isn't it?
3: Well, it is. It's frightening to most Israelis to think that possibly a fourth election is coming along, and of course it will cost a lot of money money that they need to be spending on the health uh, crisis in Israel that's, of course, all around the world. But, yes, Friday morning we had the leader of the Blue and White Party, Benny Gantz, tweet out that the talks were going nowhere. He was implying that it was Benjamin Netanyahu's fault that that was the case and said that uh, anybody that wants another election, this is the way to do it. So he says they're not cooperating. But, of course, the Likud is saying the opposite, that it's blue and white that is still making demands that are uh, untoward, that are greater than they could be. So uh, unity doesn't look like it's working right at the moment. But the president, as you said, said this is the deadline, folks, I've given you all the time. That I could to form this government. So he's passed it back to the Knesset, meaning any individual Knesset member of the 120 can say, hey, I can form a government. And here it is. Here's the parties that are joining me. Well, of course, that's only the Likud or blue and white that could do that. Still, that's the situation. Now we'll see where it develops.
0: You know, it's very interesting also, Prime Minister Netanyahu, I'm not saying who's going to do what in the future as it relates to becoming the Prime Minister or not. But uh, Forbes magazine has recently come out, David, and made the statement that Israel is the safest place to be during this coronavirus pandemic. That's interesting. And I believe it's probably because the Israeli people have to come together because of all the enemies they have surrounding them. I think that's a part of this process. Would you not agree?
3: I would, Jimmy, and, you know, the people are disciplined, too. They're used to national crises. Uh, from 2000 to 2010, we had four different conflicts, some of them more limited, some of them larger, but uh, people are used to that. They're used to going to shelters. They're used to having extra supplies of food. They're used to having to stay around their homes when there's these various wars and crises, terror attacks, etc., so there's that, and also the measures that have been taken have been very stringent, among the most in the world, as I've said before, cutting off of cities, travel between towns. Again, at the end of Passover earlier this week, uh, we had restrictions of travel and gatherings and all of that. So. People are adhering pretty closely to it, and the death rate is relatively low, Jimmy. There was about 150 dead, but still, uh, they thought it would be worse than that, and it is because of those strong, strong measures. So in that sense, it is about the safest place to be in terms of the spread of the virus and your chances of getting it.
0: You know, also, I'm interested in watching what the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, is doing, because they have to be... On duty, number one, and very alert, number two, because without a leader, a solid leader in place because of the situation in the, the election process, IDF needs to be ready, and therefore they're not even thinking about an exit strategy from the coronavirus situation. They're just continuing their job.
3: Well, they are, and again, they're very, very, very well-trained and have these experiences all the time. They have casualties in the military on an ongoing basis because of the various rocket attacks and terror attacks that take place pretty frequently, so the medics are up to speed. Everybody in the Army and the military and the police are very well-prepared for this, so I'm not saying they weren't in New York or Paris or London, but... They don't have this level of activity, and certainly their military forces are not uh, facing the same level of threat that Israel's is on a regular basis.
0: David, Holocaust Martyrs and Heroes Remembrance Day and then Holocaust Remembrance Day upcoming this next week. They're not going to have the open activities normally they do there at Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Memorial uh, location but instead they're going to, they've already pre-taped them, they're going to put them on television. This is a unique way of doing it, but they still want to remember Holocaust Remembrance Day.
3: Well, and Jimmy, it is an annual event that is mostly televised. Very few people go to public gatherings. There's always a state ceremony, and that has various guests and that sort of thing, and that's televised every year. So that's more or less, how it normally functions but uh... they're a little more concerned a little further on this month of course we have Independence Day, coming right after the fallen soldiers' Remembrance Day, of course, Holocaust for the victims of uh, the World War II Nazi Holocaust, and then the next week for all of the fallen soldiers, and then immediately followed by Independence Day. Well, just as in the States, that's normally a day when families go out into the parks and there's large gatherings and big barbecues and the beaches are packed and all of that sort of thing. How to change that custom this year is going to be a real challenge. They're already talking about it in the government. Do they just try to forbid all of these gatherings, or is that just too much? Will people do it anyway? They're not sure. They're asking around and checking, but those are the areas they're focusing on.
0: These special holy days, and they're not... Dictated by the Bible to be observed by the Jewish people. I'm talking about Holocaust Remembrance Day, Memorial Day, as you were mentioning, and also uh, the Independence Day celebration. These are special times when the Jews want to remember. And of course, Holocaust Remembrance Day, they want to remember never again will they allow that to happen. So these are special occasions. They're not going to quit thinking about this. They want to keep that up most in everybody's mind. They don't want it ever to happen again, do they?
3: They don't, Jimmy. But as you suggest, they're not really religious in nature, so the synagogues are not normally filled with people. There's not big groups gathering to pray like there is at Passover and, of course, Yom Kippur and the other holy days. So that's good. It's just convincing the public, especially on Independence Day, that the normal customs of going out and just getting into big groups, I'm sure there'll still be people going out and barbecuing and that sort of thing, but they'll probably just try to make the point of stay away from other groups and just have your own family and, you know, don't make it a community event because, of course, there's a reason they call it community spread. You get a bunch of people together that don't normally hang together and that virus goes real fast, or so say the experts.
0: Circling back to how we began this uh, entire conversation, talking about uh, the possibility of going to a fourth election, there is a group, and one of the sticking points in Netanyahu and Gantz coming together is the fact that uh, Netanyahu has made some promises he's going to annex, bring Israeli sovereignty to Judea and Samaria, and in fact, the Jordan Valley And there is a a pro-Israel group that's saying if you do that, Israel, uh, the Trump administration is not going to be happy about it. I'm not sure that's the case. I think that uh, uh, the Trump administration has given kind of a green light for that, don't you?
3: Well, they've indicated that they won't actively oppose it, certainly, although they, they have stated that they want it to be as part of this peace process, as part of negotiations and not just unilateral actions on Israel's part. That point they have made. But, yes, this American group is very pro-Israel, but saying that we would hate to see the relations with the White House and with the Congress damaged in any way, and if there's unilateral actions, this will cause some damage. And I think that's true, Jimmy. There would be a lot of people, especially on the left of the Democratic Party, that would very much oppose it. Now, the president... Well, that's another story. I don't think it's easy to predict exactly what Donald Trump will do about anything. He's a surprise often, and um, I doubt if it would severely damage the relations between the two countries, but there would certainly be some blowback. And the prime minister has indicated anyway that he isn't going to do this all unilaterally, that he is going to try to do it at least in coordination with the other political parties in Israel so there's at least internal a unity over it if not with all the nations we know the european union will condemn it and uh, most of the world would condemn any any annexations at all
0: And David and I have read the last chapter. We know what the Bible says. It will belong to the Jewish people, not only at this present time, but for eternity as well. David, thank you for the report. report, Your Middle East news update, always key for us right here on Prophecy Today. Stay well, my good friend. We'll have another conversation next week.
3: Glad to do it, Jimmy. God bless.
0: We are going to take a break when we come back. Wiki Madad is standing by to give us that analysis of what did take place in the elections, why they may have to go to a fourth election. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
2: Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible Prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general, and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents, to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore, or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com.
0: Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, and we move now into our second half hour. We need three half hours, 90 minutes total in order for our broadcast partners from around the world to give you information that is so essential for your understanding as you study through the prophetic passages of the Bible and see how current events may well be setting the stage for these events to take place and prophecy to be fulfilled. In this half hour, at the end of it, we're going to Colonel Bob McGinnis at the Pentagon. He is an expert on the people and the places of China. And I say places because they control more just than the mainland of China. They have control all across the world. We're going to talk to Bob about that. We're going to ask him the direct question, the elephant in the room. uh, Did China begin this coronavirus pandemic. So keep the dial set where it is. Great conversation coming up with Colonel Bob McGinnis. But right now we go to a longtime friend, longtime broadcast partner, Winky Madad, former mayor of a place called Shiloh. Shiloh, center part of the state, a part of what they refer to as the West Bank, but uh, the Jewish people, of course, and the Bible calls it Judea and Samaria. I want to ask you, Winky, first of all, you were kind of secluded there, you and your wife. You told me last time we had a conversation after some 49 years of being with the family would celebrate Passover by yourself that one first evening, the Passover Seder. Now, Passover in the Jewish world today is a eight-day period of time, an eight-day holiday, the one day of Passover, seven days of unleavened bread. How did it come out? You just have concluded those eight days, have you not?
4: Yes, we have, and since we've done it for a long time, we're used to the fact that we eat the unleavened bread, and we we have a phrase, it's called uh, turning over the kitchen. We use a completely separate set of utensils, both silverware, dishes, pots, and pans, and Everything is covered over. Uh, We take it very seriously, the biblical commandment, that no leaven shall be found in our houses. It's a challenge. We're getting older, so getting up and down, bringing things from the top shelves to the lower shelves. But we did it, and we had just my wife and myself, the festive Seder meal, which has a lot of ceremony, as you probably know, Jimmy, being here uh, many years, with all sorts of things on the table and... uh, a reading and a reciting of a special uh, collection of prayers and, and biblical uh, references, and we enjoyed it. I even made one mistake, which my wife caught me out on, and so instead of being it usual, we had to be on our toes, and we didn't finish too late. Usually we usually finish after midnight. This time we went on till about 10.30 or so, and we enjoyed it very
0: much. Well, and I'm sure that uh, during that time, you missed your entire family, but kind of up close and personal for the Passover Seder this year. Winky, how are the Israeli people withstanding the lockdown? Are they able to stand up to it, or are they getting pretty anxious now?
4: Well, uh, the problem is, Jimmy, our short spring is now upon us. We've seen a good few sunny days now, and that sort of brings out the itch in people to get out and there's been a lot of pressure on the government actually as around the world also we're not unique in this situation that you know a month or the five weeks already of completely suppressing a lot of economic activity stores businesses uh, and so people are getting uh, impatient the government has been sitting on us now for two or three days in a row Uh, We're trying to see if a restricted or a limited uh, breakout in terms of defining certain businesses that could be opened up. But I don't think school is on the horizon or sports or concerts of major participation events, uh, at least until the summer.
0: I guess, winky bad news, Netanyahu and Gantz were not able to form a unity government. What happened? How did it break down?
4: Well, when these things happen, a lot of rumors spread, and therefore, on both sides, on one side, the Blue and White Party, and on Kud side, their partners, or their, you want to call them the satellite parties, began to put on a lot of pressure. Without really knowing exactly what was going on, and that of sort began to disturb things, But as far as I can tell, Mr. Netanyahu, we spoke about this over the past few months, several times. There is no law that says that a prime minister who has been charged before a court has to resign. In fact, the law says quite specifically that it's only when he has been found guilty and after an appeal. But uh, there's a lot of suspicion, especially on Netanyahu's part, that if people go to the Supreme Court, and say he shouldn't be charged with even forming a government, that somehow the court would intervene. And he's trying to avoid that in the agreement. And I can find no other term to say but has thrown a very big piece of board into the spokes of the wheel of these negotiations. And so, as you said, the time limit has passed. It now goes to the Knesset. The Knesset has to come to the president and say, 60 members or 61 members of the Knesset, ask Mr. So-and-so to form a government. We have 21 days for that to happen. If not, we go automatically to elections within about 90 days, which would be somewhere in August. How to do elections in a corona atmosphere? Jimmy, we we're going to have to look open the Bible and see if we have any sort of references to help he us said. through this period.
0: And either you'll be able to write the book after this is all gone to pass. Well, talk to me. Is there a possibility in the Knesset operation that either Gantz or Netanyahu could actually come together and form a government?
4: Well, uh, the one thing that could happen is that Gantz could promote certain legislation which would put a lot of pressure on Netanyahu. Change the law, for example that uh, no, pro- no member of Knesset who has to appear before court or has a charge against him can be a candidate for prime minister. That would eliminate Mr. Netanyahu altogether. But in that case, Mr. Netanyahu will say, I'm willing to wait out the 21 days, we'll go to elections, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to win this time. Because he's been doing, as far as I can tell, a very good job with corona. Some of the polls have shown a, a a jump of even up to forty seats for the coup alone. So um, politics sometimes, Jimmy, is a game. Uh, whether it's chess or any other game of poker, and sometimes you're going to have to play it. Unfortunately, I, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm excited or exuberated about the situation. I'm just trying to give you the best commentary I can.
0: And I appreciate that so very much, Winky. What about if they do go to a fourth election? Would that be a disaster? Or as I understand the polls today, Netanyahu is pretty high in those polls. Would it be a great opportunity for him to become the prime minister if they go to a fourth election?
4: Well, there are three factors here. One is we had actually the elections during the beginning of the Corona crisis. To remind people, our elections were at the beginning of March, and we had certain protocols, I guess you can call them, in place, including a special corona election booths for people who had come down with it. So, that, pra- the practical aspect is taken care of. The big problem, though, is the money, Jimmy. It's a lot of money to spend for elections. You have tens of thousands of people employed on election day, And that would really severely hit the economy, which we could probably afford. But it would boomerang. It would—you don't know who Mr. Netanyahu or Mr. Gantz would take the brunt of going into the elections and causing us to spend more money almost unnecessarily. I really don't know how is it going to go down on that.
0: Well, I know you're not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, to quote a former Jewish prophet, but uh, if you had to say right now, do you think they'll do something as the Knesset has the opportunity to maybe form a government, or will they go to a fourth election?
4: I'm pretty sure that they're very close, or they were very close until uh, this week, so it's just a matter of another couple of poundings on the tables or poundings on the head. I would go with the inclination to say that within this 21-day period, uh, the Knesset will say, please give the mandate to Mr. Netanyahu, uh, which would be followed by another year and a half or so by Mr. Gantz in rotation, and we're off with the government.
0: Yeah, well, that would be good for the Israeli people in order to have a pretty steady government, a stable government, especially with all the enemies that you have surrounding you. Winky, thank you for your update. I know you're not a prophet, as we said just a moment ago, but you gave us a great analysis of what the situation looks like. We'll have to come back next week and see where we are at that point in time. Thank you so much, my good friend. We'll talk again real soon.
4: Jimmy, thank you for having me on. Goodbye to you and our listeners
0: right now we're going to go to another key region of our world it's the european union john rude the man who covers that for us has lived in that region of the world over 30 years there in brussels belgium he's on top of all the situations that seem to be breaking from out of that region of the world john it looks like every single thing i want to talk to you about has a relationship to the coronavirus. And let me begin with this one, if you will. Pope Francis, who is a religious leader, of course, for the entire world, but a major political player as it relates to the European continent. He's making the statement that the future of Europe is at stake. What are your thoughts about what the Pope had to say?
4: Yes, exactly.
5: Coronavirus is the top of the news, absolutely. And what we're seeing is a coronavirus effect that is an amplification of existing conditions. And so the Pope has come out with his address. Actually, a quote is, the EU is facing an epical challenge on which will depend not only its future, but that of the whole world. And the future of the EU has reverberated in the last weeks because of this intense situation of division and weakness and an inability to act. So the Pope has come out, and it was interesting that he actually added the phrase, the entire world, the entire world future depends. That would seem a bit dramatic. Sometimes we have to examine some of the motivations behind uh, what's happening.
0: That is the case. And, of course, when we talk about the Pope, many believe that he has a significant role as it relates to the future. And the prophetic scenario laid out in God's Word I'm not absolute on that, uh, but uh, there is an understanding that what is happening from the Vatican there in Rome could be a prototype of that which will indeed happen in the future. Well, talking about Europe and the European Union, does what we see happening because of the coronavirus, John, reveal the lack of unity there at the EU at this time in history? Uh,
5: Absolutely. Uh, The coronavirus has been the catalyst to bring out what's already there. And, you know, from monitoring the European Union for a few decades, it's very easy to determine what really is the most probable scenario moving ahead. So there's been great uh, criticism because the European countries and leaders are acting selfishly in their own interest. Italy could not receive aid from other European unions at uh, any good timing. Other countries stepped in, China, uh, Turkey, and Brussels is just showing their inability to act unilaterally. The outcome of this has always been in the past for a reinvention. So look for the European Union. To, they're very good at saying that they failed, but then they have the plan. And after 9-11, we saw things that came on, the table that were probably on the back burner that they figured, you know, could be implemented in terms of increasing their influence and political control, economic control, for the next 10, 15 years, and it came all on board at that time. Uh, This is a similar time right now where the EU is working with their inability, and so expect a new plan, the future of Europe, and they're going to try to make it look glamorous But people understand each country is out for itself.
0: Well, speaking of that new plan, which you just mentioned, Macron, the president of France, seems to have a vision for Europe. What is his vision, and how does it fit into what's happening even today?
5: That is highly significant. This is a situation with President Macron in France to monitor. President Macron has stepped in filling the vacuum of the United Kingdom leaving the European Union. And so there's a, a, a great balance that we see in the past between Germany and France, and now it's being, in a sense, renegotiated. So he's a very, very strong character, very strategic, uh, ambitious, lots of vision for Europe. And so he wants the EU to have more economic powers. And notice right away when when the U.K., left the European Union, that immediately President Macron unveiled his country's nuclear doctrine in a stealthy way. But France now, much to probably many people's amazement, is the only nuclear power in the European Union. And so Macron will try to to come in and uh, play that vacuum and come in with his particular vision.
0: Well, you're talking about reinvention by Macron, president of France, but would you not agree you're a student of Bible prophecy as I am that no matter what the reinvention may be, ultimately the Bible will see a revival of the old Roman Empire, and all this political activity is setting the stage for that prophetic significance to take place, would you agree?
5: Absolutely, absolutely, and we're we're moving towards that direction
0: each and every day. And that's why we bring to these microphones each and every week our good buddy broadcast partner, John Rood, to give us the insight we need to have as we watch all of this unfold. John, thank you so very much. Stay well, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. Thank you. Very important conversation with John Rood, a European Union update. That is a key region of the world along with the Middle East, those two regions play a very significant role in the end-time scenario that's found in Bible prophecy. Well, there has much conversation been taking place throughout the entire world about China, their role in the coronavirus pandemic, I want to touch that subject as well. We're going to do it with a former broadcast partner with us, longtime broadcast partner, Colonel Bob McGinnis, who works at the Pentagon. Not necessarily working at the Pentagon today, are you, Bob? Mostly at home doing what your duties are there?
6: Yeah, most of us are teleworking. Uh, Only very, very few people are allowed in the Pentagon. You know, it's it's close to the hot spot there in Washington, D.C., so we're very careful.
0: Yes, be careful, buddy. We need to keep you well and uh, doing all the writing you're doing. A number, he's a prolific writer. You need to get a copy of some of his books. You can go to Amazon.com. They're there. And at our website as well will be made available. Well, the elephant in the room, of course, is China, Bob. Let me ask you a direct question, then we'll get into the details. Did China start the coronavirus pandemic?
6: Well, certainly it would appear in Wuhan there was a virology lab that uh, perhaps you know, was doing experiments to try to develop either a vaccine or some detection mechanisms uh, or therapies, and that the evidence at this point suggests that it was somehow uh, inadvertently released and as a result spread throughout Wuhan and the Chinese government's In Beijing failed to notify the rest of the world in time, and it spread as it has across the world.
0: You're saying then, Bob, that they did keep this news from the rest of the world once they realized what had happened.
6: It would appear to be that way, Jimmy. You know, there's indications that perhaps they knew about this as early as September, and certainly the early cases were discovered in November of 2019. So this is a very disturbing uh, development and one that uh, demonstrates uh, that the Communist Chinese uh, will do whatever to not only save face, but also foster their development economically and militarily into the future.
0: Let me take that one step further then. Was this a planned decision by the leadership of Communist China so that they could become number one militarily and economically?
6: Well, it's a bit premature to come to that conclusion, but I know the president has launched an investigation that will kind of piece all of this together. It's interesting that their neighbor, Taiwan, has only experienced a handful of deaths and a very low numbers of coronavirus cases. Why? Well, in December, they shut down that country, essentially, and they followed through protocols that obviously saved them a great deal of not only loss of human life, but also their economic viability. And they are very close, 80 miles from the shore of China, but they were smart enough to understand what was happening, and they reacted quick enough. Unfortunately, the World Health Organization failed to do its job, from what I can tell. And, of course, for years we had been trying to send scientists, and did in some cases to Wuhan to look at the virology lab there to see if it was up to snuff. Well, our conclusions based on a variety of cables that Secretary of State Pompeo has released uh, indicates that they found a major fault in their laboratories. And that may in fact be the reason that this was either accidentally or otherwise released.
0: I know that you are in strategic planning at the Pentagon. You work with that on a daily basis, in addition to your teaching at the War College in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, and in fact, traveling across the world to do that, focusing on military activities. So then let me take it then, this step, could China be using this to become the number one military power in the world? And if that be the case, how far are they away from that happening?
6: Well, I don't know and have any direct evidence that they use coronavirus to leverage the world in its economic or military interest. What what we do know is that the Communist Chinese Party is focused on maintaining its leverage and its power. About 50 million people out of a population of 1.3 billion. And they'll do whatever. Uh, I would argue that President Xi, the current president of China, is even worse than Mao Zedong, who killed 70 million of his own people. This president has incarcerated people in the west, uh, western part of his country. He monitors everything that happens within this country. Uh, they've announced uh, an ambition to have the world's largest economy by the mid part of this century as well as the world's leading military. I can tell you having in the last two months been in Europe and been in Asia that I've heard plenty of evidence to suggest that the Chinese are deadly serious about both those goals and they're doing whatever is necessary to reach that. Now it would appear as if the coronavirus COVID-19 is going to hamper some of their progress, because I think that the world had better take it seriously and the threat seriously and the reaction, which has not been all that productive for the rest of the world, of the Chinese government to hide you know, the release of these uh, this virus. So it, it's a serious situation, but yes, they are very ambitious, and they have world dominance under their uh, umbrella.
0: Well, that's their umbrella desire. But at the same time, not only is the coronavirus pandemic hurting the economies of the world, and I mean a major hurt on those economies of the world, is China going to be able to, with all of this going on there, even in China, be able to keep their standard economically so they can be that number one power?
6: Well, China's economy contracted 7% in the first quarter of 2020, and it would appear as if the quarterly GDP decline uh, this past quarter was the worst that it it's seen in, in, since 1992. You know, industrial production, retail sales have fallen eight and 19 percent, respectively. So they've they've suffered economically to a large degree because of trade with the West and the United States in particular. Uh, we've cut off a lot, and we're of course imposing tariffs. Uh, so. You know, as I said in my 2018 book, Alliance of Evil, we are in a new Cold War. Uh, There's no question. I I said that years ago. I continue to say it today. They attack us left and right on four fronts, economically, through cyber. They certainly do it ideologically. And I would argue that just keeping secrets about uh, escaped COVID-19 is part of their ideological war. And then, of course, militarily. And they've continued, even over the last few months, Build up in the South China Sea. Uh, they're lying in the sand, as one person has put it, of islets that are now dominating the South China Sea, which, of course, is hundreds of miles from the Chinese mainland, yet they claim it as sovereign territory. Uh, so the Chinese are incredibly ambitious. They're buying up uh, facilities in Europe, throughout Asia, South America, and so
0: forth. Bob, let me ask you this, then, finally, as we come to a conclusion with our conversation. How should America deal with this threat from red China? I mean, are they going to ultimately be able to hit their goal and be the number one power?
6: Well, a lot depends upon the United States and our how we respond to them. Keep in mind, we need to look at the economic implications of this. Not only has it set us back economically, but it piled debt on top of the $23 trillion that we already have in debt. Uh, what has happened to us is worse than what happened in 2008. And so we have to get serious. Instability, such as what we're seeing across the world today, is you know, reminiscent of what happened in 1918. When you have the influenza pandemic and, of course, the end of World War One, uh, you know, ingredients of those two worldwide a- activities and contributed to uh, eventually the, the World War, World War Two, which, of course, you know, engulfed everyone. Now, those are issues of some consequence. We've got to begin to r- look at our domestic security. Uh, we have to ramp up our health security. Uh, we have to really watch what others are doing. You know, I would argue the European Union is in terrible trouble as a direct result uh, of their flippant uh, approach to what's going on. Nationalism will rise again over there, much like we saw at the end of World War One. So there are a host of geopolitical activities. And here at home, I'd argue that American politics, where we have progressives that are Doing some radical things in spite of the epidemic. Uh, and yet, you know, the President of the United States has really aligned himself with the mainline American people who are concerned about their own security and are very skeptical about the globalism that progressives and others in this country have been pushing for years.
0: That's the voice of Colonel Bob McGinnis. He is a strategist working at the Pentagon, a good friend of us, a broadcast partner here at Prophecy Today. And, Bob, thank you so very much. You're a China expert. You have been for many years. Wanted to have your comments. Appreciate you allowing us to have the conversation. Thank you, Jimmy. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I've got one more broadcast partner. That's David James, and we'll take a look at the book in the next half hour as well. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We move into our last half hour In this half hour, David James is going to join me. We'll talk about what a Christian's responsibility and attitude should be with all government control that has been put in place. That's upcoming in a moment. My poll question is something that I would love for you to go to my website and answer. It's located on my home page on the left-hand column if you'll scroll down. Here's the poll question. Revelation 16, verse 12, speaks of the kings of the east, which will make up the entire population of the earth at that time, the last half of the tribulation period. Here's the question. Do you believe China's activities today are setting the stage for this biblical prophetic scenario to be fulfilled? Of course, we are believing that China, the major player, as the kings of the East. Please answer the poll question. We'd love to have you give us your answer and your thoughts. I want to remind you about my YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash prophecy today many prophecy teaching sessions that have been placed there for you to have time to study when we are basically at a shutdown in our homes. Also, don't forget my prophecy moment that will take either a verse, answer a question you have sent me, or then take a subject and look at it, give you the prophetic perspective on it. That's at my YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Prophecy Today. We now bring to these microphones David James. It's the time for our weekly conversation when David and I take an issue that is confronting the body of Christ, the church, and we discuss it together from a biblical perspective. You can eavesdrop on the conversation, come to a better understanding as we focus on these different issues. Actually, David, before we get into our main topic, I thought it would be helpful to let our listeners know because of the coronavirus crisis, it's affected our ministry, Prophecy Today, and your ministry, and uh, how some might want to connect with us as you have had to shift gears to some degree. When I mean connect, I understand that you're getting involved in something you were doing as you were putting together your ministry until you got full support, but since most of that support is gone, as it is with us as well, what are you doing right now? Let everybody know so if they need to use your services, they can make contact with you.
5: Sure. Well, thanks a lot, Jimmy. I I really appreciate you mentioning that. I, I wouldn't say that most of our support is gone at the moment, but things are coming up. You know, I've already had to postpone two trips to Europe as well as a church conference here in the States, and people do support us because of that international travel and teaching, and so I'm working on publishing a survey of Romans that I wrote several years ago, and we'll get back to a couple of other books that I've started, and I'll be making those available, but beyond that, we have started losing quite a bit of support because of the crisis, and honestly, this could get a lot worse if this continues for very long and as a stopgap measure i've restarted a part-time freelance business that i had in 2012 when as you said we were still getting abi off the ground i i do powerpoints for businesses and ministries and all sorts of graphics design for book covers and brochures and flyers and booklets and business cards just about anything and i've also added book editing and formatting for print and kindle form- formats, and I also do audio and video editing and post-production work on those things. So if anyone out there needs any of these things done, they can contact me through the ABI website.
0: Well, that's great, Dave, and uh, praise the Lord for the opportunity. Some may be having enough time to write some books out there, need to have them edited, maybe a cover. This would be a great service that you're offering to them, and let's pray this be a stopgap ministry until you can get back out on the road, and we can get back out on the road as well. Well, David, we're now in the third month of the coronavirus pandemic and about a month into a shutdown for much of the country. And now it seems that we may well be entering a new phase with Americans beginning to react more strongly to the government's intervention. Talk to us about that.
5: Well, I'm really hoping and praying along with everyone else that we're nearing the peak and, as they say, flattening the curve. But I I think it's still hard to say. You know, people are getting tired of the shutdown. Uh, Most want to work and not be on the government dole, and it's quickly becoming a financial problem for many. And also, uh, many aren't happy with some state governments that are taking unusually extreme measures, and we can get back to that in a few moments. And another frustrating thing, I think, is the confusion with a lot of conflicting messages. Some say this hydroxychloroquine has mitigating properties, while others are warning against using it too quickly. Some are calling for an easing of restrictions so the economy can recover before there's deep long term damage, and President Trump has announced a three phase program for that. But others are saying the shutdown and everything that goes with it may need to continue for months. And, you know, when we last talked about numbers, just Three weeks ago, there were around 90,000 cases in the United States, but now we're at around 700,000 with over 35,000 deaths. So the number of cases has jumped by over 600,000 in just three weeks, and that's with the broad shutdown and the social distancing in place, and we still don't know how it's all going to play out.
0: David, when we discussed this issue about a month ago, you were telling us what the numbers were, but we also talked about the divide between the believers concerning how to properly respond to the crisis. Where would you say that we as believers, as people of the church, where are we today in that regard?
5: Well, that's a good question, and I've been watching it pretty closely for uh, many weeks now. I I think that in some ways the harsh rhetoric between believers has somewhat mellowed out for now. Most realize that all of us are really trying to just trust the Lord and handle this wisely, and I also think the conflict has shifted somewhat, at least for many who have tried to be submissive toward authorities. Uh, That's based on Romans 13 and other passages, not only by staying at home but also by trying to have the right attitude. And one reason I would say this is shifting is because we're witnessing a once booming economy becoming a train wreck that's now heading off a cliff if things don't turn around quickly. Uh, Another is that the dates for reopening the country keep getting pushed out by two to four weeks at a time. And I would say this is leading to suspicions concerning that the government may have been stringing us along to some degree and not telling us about the source of the virus, which is just now coming out officially, and just how serious it was based on intel coming out of China. And I would say that this is being made worse because of governmental overreach in some states. You know, people have been ticketed for going to services in a church parking lot, even though they stayed in their cars. Yet at the same time, liquor stores have stayed open. So it really has begun to feel like Christians are being targeted more intentionally, and that's clearly uncomfortable constitutional.
0: And David, actually, this leads to my next point, which is the issue of why this is somewhat difficult for believers to work through all of this that we're having to face, Uh, basically concerning obeying governmental authorities. The fact is that we live in a representative republic, and so those in government actually work for us, at least in theory.
5: You know, Jimmy, in his Gettysburg Address, President Lincoln referred to the United States government as being of the people, by the people, and for the people. And that's exactly how the framers of the Declaration of Independence and later the Constitution envisioned government for our country. We elect those in government to represent us, not to lord their authority over us. And when governments use and abuse their authority to criminalize law-abiding citizens who are simply wanting to exercise of freedoms ensured by the Constitution. That's not granted by the Constitution. They're ensured by the Constitution. This creates internal conflict for believers. We know that we're supposed to be good citizens and law keepers who do submit to government and authorities because there are no authorities in place except those ordained by God. But on the other hand, in this country, we the people are the government, and our nation was founded on this principle. And now we're seeing increasing conflict between states and the federal government and between states themselves, and this is leading to conflict between people within those states, including between believers. And, you know, I don't want to be an alarmist, but these are some of the same things that, that set the stage for the Civil War. And we're now facing situations in some cases where the laws of man may come into conflict with the will and law of God. So as believers, we need to pray for wisdom, think through this carefully, and graciously give room for others to come to different conclusions. This is, this is a difficult time.
0: David, you and I had a conversation prior to being able to have our conversation here on Prophecy Today on last Thursday. At that time, you mentioned that you had received a call from a missionary to Russia who actually alerted you to what is happening in Moscow concerning the enforcement of a coronavirus lockdown in that city. Relate that story to us.
5: Yeah, the timing was interesting in light of today's discussion, and it's interesting how we connected. As it turns out, we met when I spoke about The Harbinger by Jonathan Kahn at a Berean Call Conference back in 2012. Uh, And Kahn's latest book, The Oracle, came out last fall, and so he called to find out if I knew of any articles about that book, because he had friends who were talking about it, so I sent him an article that I wrote for Aerial Ministries Magazine that was based on the discussion that you and I had. And also, as it turns out, he's been a missionary in Russia for 20 years, and because of the crisis, he's stuck here in the States. And he also told me about this crackdown in Moscow that it just happened this week. So as it turns out, as part of its COVID-19 lockdown, the government there sent out text messages to the residents of Moscow and the surrounding area. And if they want to move around the city, they have to declare a route and purpose in advance, then download a QR code on their smartphones that can be scanned and checked by authorities. And according to one article I read, this will initially only apply to people using public transportation, but the restrictions will gradually scale up to even passes for short trips around neighborhoods. And some are calling this a cyber gulag, and it's exactly this sort of thing that some are concerned will happen here.
0: Well, and in fact, it sounds like what will be the prophetic scenario for the future as well. David, you and I have both been teaching that the rapture could happen at any moment. We've been doing that since we've basically been in ministry. And to be honest— I think there are many more that really want everything that's happening today be the time when that rapture is going to take place. but And I still believe that, and I'm sure you do as well, that the rapture could happen at any moment. Uh, but things could actually get a lot worse before that happens, and we still have a, a lot of work to do before it happens as well, don't we?
5: Yes, we do. You know, back when I was saved in the 1980s, there was sort of a popular idea in evangelical circles that believers would be raptured out of here before things got too bad, and that actually became something that we were attacked for by those who don't hold to a pre-trib rapture. We were accused of having an escapist mentality, and, you know, maybe to some degree they were right. You know, I think it's sort of an American thing because we've been sheltered from much of the persecution that's happened, and continues to happen in many parts of the world, as you said, I still firmly believe the rapture could happen at any moment, but I would also caution that things could get far worse than anything the world has ever seen before the rapture happens, including here in this country. We as believers have been promised to be spared from experiencing the wrath of God during the tribulation, but we know from history and even daily headlines just how evil man can be, especially when inspired by demonic forces. You know, last week we talked about the hope we have in Christ because of His resurrection, and that includes His return. Uh, believers alone, we have the message of good news, of forgiven sin, and eternal life, and we must continue proclaiming this message until we hear that trumpet sound that you so often talk about. We all have family and friends and neighbors and colleagues whom we don't want to see left behind.
0: You know, I love that verse that uh, Peter wrote about, a swan song basically, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, the Lord says, I'm not slack concerning my promise, I'm coming, but I'm not willing that any should perish, but all should come to know me as Lord and Savior. That's the work that we need to be doing today until that trumpet deed does sound. David, thank you so much. Great discussion. Thank you for your insight into any and every discussion we have on a particular issue. We'll do it again next week, so you be well until then. We'll talk to you next week. I'll look forward to it, Jimmy. going to take a break. When we come back, I'll open up the Bible. We'll take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today.
5: Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services And the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you.
2: Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's Revelation, A Chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com.
0: Time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. Our broadcast partners today have given us information about current events happening across this world to help us understand how the prophetic scenario found in God's Word is coming better into focus. You know, these are very important reports we receive from our broadcast partners. We need to hear from these men each and every week to have an idea where we are in God's timeline for the end times. If you missed any of the reports, please go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN. Prophecy Today Radio Network, there you'll be able to listen to any of these reports from my broadcast partners. And after you've done that, after you've listened to the reports from my broadcast partners, please contact a friend, send them the link to that particular site on my website so they can hear each and every one of the broadcast partners as well. That's prophecytoday.com, P-T-R-N, Prophecy Today Radio Network. Well, today we heard from all of our broadcast partners, including Ken Temmerman. We started with Ken. He's in southern France. And the main headline he brought to our attention is that the leader of Turkey, Tayyip Erdogan, the president of Turkey... He is working now to put a geopolitical alliance together between the Sunni Muslims and the Shiite Muslims. Let me remind you, the body politic of the Islamic world is divided into two parts, the Sunnis and the Shiites. But just to let you know, there are differences between these. Turkey would be a part of the Sunni, aspect of the body politic of the Islamic people, Iran would be the Shiites. Now, that just gives you an example of how they are divided. Since Erdogan is a leader in one of the Sunni nations, he is working to put together an alliance between the Sunnis and the Shiites. Remember, Tayyip Erdogan has a desire to become the pan-Islamic leader of the entire Islamic world. His desire is to revive the old Ottoman Empire, which was in charge of the entire Middle East in the early 1900s. This is key to understanding why he wants to control that real estate, which was the Ottoman Empire in that time. And by the way, Turkey is key to the alignment of nations that will form after the rapture of the church a group of Islamic nations led by Russia that will go against the Jewish state of Israel endeavoring to wipe them off the face of the earth. That's Ezekiel chapter 38. Russia is Magog in verse 2, and then Meshach, Tubal, Gomer, and Tagarma in chapter 38 verses 2 and 6 would be what we know as modern-day Turkey. David Dolan talked to us about Yad Vashem that is the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem and they're going to have Holocaust Remembrance Day this coming week. It's going to be done all on television. Normally they have mass crowds that come to Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum for the purpose of honoring the 6 million that gave their lives during the Holocaust in World War 2. They stop to remember the Holocaust and the 6 million that were killed at that terrible time, back at the time of World War II. Today they make this statement, and the reason they have this gathering, they want to remind each other, never again will they allow that to happen, for that many Jews to be killed at one time for one purpose. It's not true that there will not be another Holocaust. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 8, says that during the tribulation period, two out of every three Jews will be killed, which is going to be the worst holocaust to ever take place on the earth. Winky Madad came to talk about the end of the Passover holidays for his family, and then he gave us an update on what's going on as they are looking at forming a Israeli government. Gantz and Netanyahu not able to do that. It's now gone back to the Knesset. And the president, Reuven Rivlin, has said if they don't put a unity government together real quickly now, they're going to have a fourth election in Israel, August the 4th. John Rood covers the European Union for us. He made the statement that uh, Pope Francis says the future of Europe is at stake because of the coronavirus. Now, the pope is a religious leader, but he has a political power as well. And when you look at the European Union, you can see that is the case. In fact, some prophecy people believe that the Pope will be a major player in the Tribulation. I cannot say that is an absolute statement from Scripture. But indeed, what is going on in Rome today with the Pope is a prototype of the first three and a half years of the Tribulation period. That's Revelation chapter 17. Colonel Bob McGinnis had a report on China. He's a China expert. He works at the Pentagon in the area of strategic strategy. And he brought to our attention all the truth behind what's going on in China, especially with the coronavirus and what their plan is for the future. Great prophetic significance. Revelation chapter 16, verse 12, and chapter 16, verse 17. You need to understand what the Bible says there between China and the Antichrist and their partnership in the end times. And then in our conversation, David James and I talked about the Christian attitude towards government control. We have a responsibility to be obedient to our government, except if it contradicts God's word. As a representative republic, remember The political leaders actually work for us, and our responsibility is to pray for them. 1 Timothy chapter 2. I want you to understand that everything which was said on this broadcast today in my conversations with my broadcast partners helped us to understand how the prophetic scenario for the end times is coming quickly into focus. Everything that God said would happen is about to happen. In other words, fulfillment is close at hand. But before any of it is fulfilled, which we talked about, the rapture of the church will take place. And may I say, as we conclude our time of a look at the book today, that rapture could happen at any moment. Having said that, nothing left for me to say,
2: except let's keep looking up unto. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.